Let's go ahead and let's pray, and uh, we'll spend some time in the Word, and uh, then we'll uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper or Lord's Table uh, after that. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we are so very thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins. We're so very thankful for your Word. We're so very thankful for your Spirit. We're so very thankful for a church family. We're just so very thankful for so many things that you bless us with, and uh, we are truly some of the most blessed people that have ever walked the face of the earth with all the things that we have. So, Father, I I thank you so very much for that. I I also know, Father, that we are also, like everyone else, uh, struggling and hurting and grieving and uh, the whole gamut of human emotions. And so we ask, Father, that you would also minister to us there as well. Keep us focused on your word, keep us focused on your son, and specifically for this next uh, uh, half an hour or so, Father, may we be focused on your word, focused on the things that are found here, and uh, may the truth of the text speak louder than any comment that one can make about it. We are just so very thankful for everything you bless us with, in your son's name, amen. So this morning, I, uh, I geeked out a little bit. I don't know if you know this about me, but I am uh, strange. And I collect very weird things. And one of the things that I collect is uh, guitar picks. And uh, I, this morning, uh, I... When Chuck and Patty came in, I said, you won't believe it. I got this brand new pick, and I showed them this pick, and I was talking about it. And I said, not only that, but I got this new book in order to have special sleeves to put all of these picks that I've collected in. And I was showing them all, and and they said, oh, you probably know all about this. Yeah, well, this one's made out of bamboo. Sounds like garbage, but it looks awesome. And then uh, I said, this is a boutique pick, meaning when you order it, the guy makes it right then. Like, you get a fresh pick. It's not from a machine. It's hand-picked. And they were very nice, and they, they seemed very interested when clearly no one other than me and, like, five other guys on the Internet really care about collecting guitar picks, Right? I may be the only one that still thinks that guitar picks should be currency. They're valuable. Obviously, some of you would not think of guitar picks as being as valuable as I think they are. I have them in a book. I have them in sleeves. I don't play with some of the guitar picks I have because they're collector items. We live in a world where there's lots of people who have value systems. They think things are very valuable. And really, uh, a lot of it's probably a lot like collecting guitar picks, right? Some people just think that's what it is. I just pick the one which I like the most of. And and this is what's valuable is the things I like. This morning, we're going to talk about value, real value, what's really valuable. This is not talking about one's preferences one's opinions. We're talking about truly what's of value in this world. Now, I know we've talked about this quite a bit in the book of Proverbs. 
There's a couple reasons. One, Solomon constantly is talking about value systems. In fact, this entire section, starting from chapter 10 and going all the way to uh, the middle of chapter 22, is dealing with here is a wise person, here is a foolish person, here is the value of being wise. This is part of his logic and reasoning toward, to us to accept wisdom, is seeing the value of it, teaching us to value the right things, to say these things are the most important things. This is standing in contrast to what the world thinks is valuable or what the fool will think is valuable. Solomon deals with this because he knows that one of our greatest struggles as people is valuing the wrong things, right? We do this constantly. This is the major battle. In fact, if we were to talk about our sins and we were to have a, not going to do this, but if we were all to stand up and talk about all of the things that we did wrong this week, I guarantee you that a lot of those things that we talk about really stems from, well, the reason I did this was because I valued this. I valued this thing. I valued myself. I valued this particular thing. And so a lot of the times... We do what we do because we think it's valuable, because it gains us something. So this is why Solomon brings this up quite a bit. The reason that we're talking about it a lot is because it's something that's really important and something that we constantly need to be refining in our own minds. What is truly valuable in this this world? What's truly valuable in our existence? Solomon's going to help us this morning. He's going to point out three things from Proverbs 22 And we're going to go from verses 1 to 5, Lord willing. He's going to teach us three things about value. What's valuable? What's the most valuable thing? The three things that he's going to say. Number one, in verse 1, what is valuable? A godly testimony. A godly testimony is valuable. Number two, what's valuable? In verses 2 through 3, godly judgment. Godly discernment. Right? So a godly testimony, verse 1, a godly judgment in verses 2 and 3. And then verses 4 and 5, what's valuable? Godly attitudes, right? Godly way of living, a godly lifestyle. So let's look at this, what is valuable. And the first thing we're going to look at is a godly testimony. Notice in verse 1, it says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, And favor is better than silver or gold. Now, we've run into these particular better than statements in this this section of Proverbs. Most of this section has been a, uh, you almost could do this with the book of Proverbs. On the one hand, the wise does this. On the other hand, the foolish person does this. So from 10 to 22, a lot of the chapters and a lot of the verses could be this contrast and comparison. There's been a couple where he has said one is better than the other, right? One is more important than the other. Doesn't mean that the other thing is not important. It doesn't mean that the other thing is necessarily evil. It's just saying that if you had to choose between the two, you should choose this one because this one's more important, right? He's causing us to see what's more important. And and what's more valuable. And so just notice this. A good name is to be chosen. It's better than. 
great riches. So the question is, what is a name, right? What is a good name? Well, normally a name identifies a person, identifies a thing, right? We give things names to help identify them. Sometimes we give names because of reputation, right? A name could, could include even one's influence. It could, uh, it, could, it could even be substituted for what you think about the person, right? So it's this identity, this reputation, right? So a good name is really this good reputation. Now, the, the tendency for us is to say, okay, well, a good testimony is when our neighbors speak well about us when we're not around. That, that's the whole point of a good reputation, And there's a sense in which that's probably true. All things being equal, that's probably a good trait. Somebody talks well about us. But that's not necessarily all that's entailed in a good testimony. So, for example, I think the Apostle Paul had a good testimony. Would anybody disagree with that here? I don't think so. Right? Paul had a good testimony. How many times did Paul go to prison? How many times was he arrested? How many times did the, did the people of the town drive him out of the city? So Paul has a good testimony, and yet it seems like the culture hates him. And so we would go, well, how is that possible to have a good testimony? The question is, what was Paul known for? He was known for the gospel. He was known for standing up for the truth. He, he was known for his stance on Jesus. And from God's perspective, that is a good testimony. Sometimes when we talk about having a good testimony, sometimes it, it's, it is mainly just that my neighbors like me. And sometimes to get neighbors to like you, you have to compromise certain things. I've known of plenty of people that have compromised their morals, their sense of what is right and wrong to appease their neighbor, uh, celebrate their neighbor's sinfulness so that the neighbor likes them. That's not necessarily a good testimony. That's, that's not what Solomon is saying. That, that this good must be defined by what God thinks is good. So a good testimony must be a, a, a pleasing lifestyle to the Lord and that we're known for our stance for biblical things. Right? That's a good testimony. Of course, this will include, by the way, if you are living for the Lord, you're going to be honest So you're not going to be that person that's constantly moving the fence post into the other person's yard, moving your fence, right? And you're not going to be that one that's going to be stealing mail, right? You're not going to be that one that's playing loud music. You're going to be considerate, right? So there is going to be some truth that if if you're living for the Lord, you are going to be a really good neighbor. You're going to be loving, caring, compassionate. You're going to be honest, hardworking. But this good name, notice, it's to be chosen rather than great riches. And I think, I think to a certain extent, we would all say, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. We would all, we would all say, of course, a good name is better than riches, right? I, I'd rather be uh, seen as a man of character than being rich. What's amazing, though, is how many times when given the opportunity in real-life situations to choose between the two, how many of us go... Ah, nobody's going to see it, so maybe I can have a good name and pursue riches in an evil way. 
Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to notice, right? Because I'm by myself. Solomon is saying, look, one is far better. It's far better to be a person of character than to have great riches, than to have amassed a great amount of resources. I think it's really unfortunate uh, that believers, modern believers, maybe even modern American believers, have placed a value on riches opposed to character. I remember when I was a kid, it would seem like once every five years there was some sort of money scandal with the church. But for the most part, when somebody said that they were a pastor, they were respected, they were trusted. It seems like uh, as I've grown older, maybe I'm just more observant, or maybe the church has changed, or maybe both. But it seems like now, every six months, there is now a scandal with a pastor dealing with money or a church dealing with money, where you have a pastor who's living in a multi-million dollar house. It's not necessarily a sin by itself, but when you then listen to how they got that millions of dollars, then you go, oh, yeah, that's, that, that's not how the church is supposed to be. And then with the rise of a particular teaching of, that's known as the health and wealth gospel that says, God always wants you healthy and wealthy. This verse would speak directly against that, right? It's better to be holy than wealthy. It's better to be a person of character than to have wealth. God is not concerned with our wealth, per se. He's concerned with our character and that we're like Christ, right? That's the most important thing. So what's valuable? Is money valuable? Yes, but if, I, if we had to make a decision between character and money, uh, holiness and money, Christ-likeness and money, we should, as believers, say the Christ-likeness is the, is the thing that I need to pursue. If I may just add one other thing. Just think about how hard people work for money. How hard do people work for money? Some people have to go to college, get years and years of degrees, spend years and years training, years and years of doing all of these things. They spend long hours crafting and learning and sharpening their craft. If that's how long it takes to make money and the type of dedication that's needed to make and amass wealth, I think Solomon's advice here would then be, If you spend that much time getting wealth and resources, how much more should we be spending on our spiritual life, right? I mean, if one's better than the other, then we should be spending more time developing a Christ-like attitude. We should spend more time in the word, more time in prayer than we do trying to earn money. Or invest our money. Not saying that earning money and investing money is wrong. Do not get me wrong. But one is better than the other. Right? Now, notice the next part of this parallelism, because it's a it's a it's a synonymous parallelism, meaning it's saying the first clause is saying the same thing as the second clause. And it says, and favor is better than gold. This word for favor is acceptance. It can mean acceptance from God. It can have this idea of grace from God uh, to man. It just seems here in this text that it's probably better understood as favor from the community, right? Not, not saying that, that, 
that, that God's grace isn't better than gold. Of course, God's grace is way better than anything we could ever think. But I don't think that's necessarily what Solomon's saying in this verse. I think in this verse, he's talking about a good name and, and leading a life of character, leading a life that is that when people think of you, they, they, they would be willing to trust you with their money. They would be willing to trust you with their family members, willing to trust you with a job, willing to, to, to look at you favorably. Right? And so this, this, this idea of your faith is so obvious in the way that you conduct yourself, the way, the way that you talk, the way that you act is so obvious. And God has, has so impacted your life in such an obvious way that the community and society as a whole sees that impact on your life and sees the things that the Lord is doing. And, and they go, this is great. This is good. This is a trustworthy, honorable person. This is a hard-working person. This is a person that I can trust. This is, this is the type of person that we would give jobs to, right? This is better than silver and gold. This is valuable. I, I, uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse because we've already talked about this quite a bit, but just as way of reminder, we've already talked about our culture and how it seems like our culture does place a premium on gaining wealth, accumulating materials above character. In fact, some of the heroes of our culture are not known because of their great character, because of their hard, of their hard work or of their truthfulness. In fact, they're known for all of the things that the Bible condemns and foolishness. They're known for backbiting. Uh, they're known for being famous. They're known for being rich and, and, and showing off their, their wealth. They're known for causing fights online, saying there's no such thing as bad press. All press is good press. Biblically, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That, that, that should never be something that crosses our minds. As believers, we should say, no, we want, we want people to know us for our stance for Jesus. They want, we should want people to know that we stand for biblical truth and that we, we act in a biblical way so that when they, look at us, at, when they look at us, they go, the only way that that could be produced is because God is working in their life. That's the type of reputation we should have. And that is far more valuable than any money. Now, there's another thing. Notice in verse 2, there's this godly judgment. And the first in verse 2 may be a theological judgment, a a theological truth. This truth might not be so abrasive to us as Americans, but I guarantee you when Solomon put ink on paper on this next verse, this would have been incredibly controversial. This would have been the thing that people would have pointed to and said, I don't know, Solomon. You might be wrong here. So just notice what he says in verse 2 on this theological discernment. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. Now, notice this. When it says the rich and poor meet together, this means they have something in common it's a really hard word to, to, 
to, de to define here, uh, to translate, but the idea is that they have something in common. So they're coming together because they have something in common. And what is that thing that the rich and the poor have in common? It's that the Lord is the maker of them all. He is the creator of the rich and of the poor, meaning that the rich and the poor are equal, that God has created man, and all men and women are equal in dignity before God. In the ancient world, man, so, so, they would have been upset because in the ancient world, the rich were better. In fact, even some of the rich were seen and said of themselves, obviously, we are from the gods because look at all the stuff we have. Obviously, we have a way better life. Therefore, we're from God. And if you don't have stuff, that means you're not from God. There you go. Some of the richest people in the world consider themselves actual God incarnate, right? So you think of the Egyptian pharaohs. They consider themselves to be whatever God they worshipped incarnate. So there's this definite view in, in, in the ancient world that there was something different about a rich person. Something so much better about a rich person and something really terrible and icky about a poor person. Here Solomon says, look, they meet together. Rich, poor, skinny, fat, what color you are, doesn't matter. Everyone is equal before God. We're all creatures. We're all made in the image of God. And that means something. That's a significant thing. Now you say, well, why is this so important? And, and why would we say this is part of judgment? Because this is how we view our neighbors. This is how we think about our neighbors. If I think of my neighbor as someone less than me, then I can treat them however I want, and it really doesn't affect me that much because they're not really human. They're some sort of mongrel. But if I see my neighbor as someone who's made in the image of God, that they have the same dignity that I have, that, they're, that, they're, that we're both creatures and that God pays, he, he's not partial to any human being, then this judgment call then changes how I think about people altogether. It doesn't matter what the person is. I, I think of them saying, that person's a creature. It's, God created that one. That person's made in the image of God. It means every life has value, Right? Every life has value. Every person has value. This is really hard to think about our neighbors this way, especially if they do move the fence post onto our lawn, right? It's really easy for us to think about that person and, and remind ourselves of that person is made in the image of God and therefore, because of that, they carry a certain dignity, and then that means that I have to treat them as if they are fellow creatures and that I'm not above them. It also helps us understand grace, doesn't it? This, doesn't, this, this means that really the only difference between me and a non-believer is because God, based upon himself, saw fit to intervene in my life. That is it. That, that's the only difference. It, it, it's because of God's work, not, not because there's something intrinsically better about me than, than another person. I, I didn't have a stronger will, a stronger mind. It, 
though growing up in a Christian family is a great benefit, that doesn't ensure my, my Christianity, right? That doesn't ensure that I will place my faith in Christ. The only thing that does that is God's grace, right? This truth also thinking about this idea of what's, what's the most valuable thing? Is it riches and being like the rich people because they're better? Wrong. We're all stand equal before God. This judgment call then helps us show what's really valuable in life. There's a lot more implications from this. A lot more. It is also sad. It's also sad when people forget the fact that they are creatures. Uh, I, I would say that if you forget that you are a creature and that there is a creator, you sometimes think of yourself as the creator. If you forget that there's a God who made you, sometimes you make yourself to be God. So this is a theological judgment call, right? And then notice the next verse. Notice, so, so one is a theological judgment call about my neighbors. Then, then notice the other thing. Then it says, then the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So the idea is that the, the prudent one is the one who's able to see uh, this, this thing coming, right? A- able, because of God's word, uh, because of what God has told him, uh, is, and even in the book of Proverbs, there's been several warnings. So a, a prudent person, a one who has wisdom, the one who has discernment, will see these scenarios and go, ah, I read about that. I read about that in the book of Proverbs. It tells me to watch out for this particular thing. I see that particular thing. A wise person goes, not going there. I'm not going to go there. And this phrase for hides himself isn't runs away to hide the idea of, of hiding oneself is guarding oneself. It has the idea of, of, of protecting oneself. So a prudent person sees danger coming, goes, I'm going to protect myself from that danger, in, in essence, avoiding that, that thing, that temptation, that, that, that thing that's going to hurt his relationship with the Lord and his relationship with others. A prudent person sees that and goes, I'm not going to do that. Right? A smart person does that. A wise person does that. And, and, and we got to remember that this isn't talking about some grand financial scheme. This isn't talking about reading the, the markets and seeing where the markets are going and then somehow prudently changing money around. This is talking about God's wisdom applied in real life. This is talking about everyday situations that requires discernment and judgment. A prudent person sees those dangers, sees that sin, and says, Nope, 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 nope. I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm, I'm going to protect myself. Whatever that looks like. That could look like a lot of things. But notice the contrast. But the simple go on and suffer for it. So, so the simple, whether they see it or not, that's not really the point. The point is that the simple go on, right? The simple have... They're not discerning on how they act. They just go. Go forward. And that word for here for suffer has the idea of paying a fine. So it would have the idea of they're not just doing something hurtful to themselves. They're possibly doing something that's hurtful, that's illegal. Right? So whether the simple see it or not, that's up for debate. I guess some simple people could hear 
you know, they're, they're biblically illiterate. They don't know any better. Uh, they, they just do what they've been taught, and they just go and do it. I guess that could be possible. A simple person here could also be someone who knows what has been said, and they go, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to some other guy. But notice that both of these require discernment, right? Verse 2 is a theological discernment. All people are equal. We're creatures. God is our maker. We're accountable to him. And then the third is, the, or in verse 3, it's prudence on how to live one's life and avoid danger. We need this kind of discernment. And this is kind of discernment is the valuable discernment, right? This helps us make right decisions. This helps us determine what is the most valuable. What's the most valuable thing? It also helps us understand then even this idea of the prudent and the simple, realizing that it really doesn't matter what I think about someone's behavior. Ultimately, they are accountable to God. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't call a sin a sin because God determines it's a sin. We, we, we need to be very clear about that, especially in today's culture. We need to use biblical words with biblical definitions and a biblical attitude, right? That's what we need. It's not saying that we can't say this is sinful and this is not. What I'm saying is, is that ultimately, since God is our creator, he is not accountable, that the action of humans are not accountable to me, but they're accountable to God, their maker, right? Paul talks about this in Romans, when inside of a church where you're having this fight of, do you eat meat sacrificed to idols or do you not eat meat sacrificed to idols, right? There's this huge debate amongst Jews and Gentiles, those with weak consciences and strong. And Paul's, Paul's advice is, hey, who are you to condemn someone else's action? They will be accountable to God themselves for what they do, right? So there's a principle for this. This doesn't mean that we, we wink at sin. This doesn't mean that we violate our conscience. But what it does mean is that we view, we view things from a biblical perspective and not from our own narrow perspective, right? Now, we then move on to this next part, right? So if the first one is, is that uh, what, what is valuable? Well, what, what's valuable is having a, a, uh, a, a godly testimony, right, in verse 1. What, what's valuable? Well, having godly judgments. Well, then in verse 4 and 5, we're going to talk about having godly attitudes. Notice what he says. He says, verse 4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That's incredible, right? The reward. The reward for this. The reward of being teachable. The reward of being uh, uh, humble, of humbling oneself before the Lord. The, this, this attitude of, of saying, uh, it's really not all about me, it's about the Lord. The, the, this, this sense of, of being taught by God's word, mixed with the fear of the Lord, right? This incredible reverence for the Lord. This has a reward for us, Right? And notice what the reward is, riches and honor and life. And I couldn't help but think of Solomon in this particular verse. Remember when Solomon started his uh, career as a monarch, the Lord came to him and said, Give whatever, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And what was Solomon's statement? Well, I want wisdom. I need wisdom. And, and what did God say? Well, because you could have asked for anything else, but you asked for the better thing, I'm going to give you all this other stuff, which included riches and honor and and life for us as believers looking at this verse 
It is true that honoring the Lord and being humble uh, can be a, a way of getting physical riches. And this is what I mean. Because we're not flying off to Vegas and spending all of our money on slot machines, when you don't do that, you get to keep your money, right? Or, or going to places because the food is awesome and everything is high-priced and we're going out and buying high-priced meals and having a good time every weekend. When you don't do those types of things, guess what? You get to keep money, right? If you're, not, if, if you're not concerned about having the newest toy, but you're concerned about godliness, that's a great way of keeping your money, right? So in one sense, there is a financial benefit to living godly. But do not think for any moment that if you live godly, that all of a sudden means that God's going to pull out a paycheck or pull out his checkbook and start writing you all this. No. As believers, we understand riches is not the end for us. If God gives us, allows us to have money and allows us to have an opportunity to make money, that is a blessing. For us as believers, the great riches that we have are found in Christ. Right? All of those incredible riches, that's, that's where we're rich, in all of those incredible blessings and promises. It is true that there, if you live godly, depending on the culture, you might be honored, right? You might, you might have something done because people say this person lived a, a life that was well done. We know this, that those who live godly will suffer persecution, this culture may not ever applaud anything that we ever do, but we're not looking for man's empty applause, right? Our concern is that we bring honor and glory to God the Father. And one of the most beautiful images in the scripture is that the believers will get rewards for living for the Lord, and it comes in a sense of crowns. The Bible talks about a lot of these crowns, and one of the things that I find very interesting in the book of Revelation, when you have those 24 elders who I, I think represent the church, I think what will happen is the very first thing that we do, our very first act, is we, we will admit to ourselves, the only reason that I could do what God asked me to do was because of God's helping me and, and giving me the ability to do this, and the only reasonable response that a believer could have knowing that is taking that reward and then throwing it right back at him, saying, it's really you. It was really your work. It's really your work in me. You're really the one that's worthy of this reward, not me to keep these rewards. It may be honor. You may, you may get promotions, etc. But, but as believers, we, we shouldn't care about man's applause. And then life. Yeah, it's true. If you act wise and you're not trying to steal from people, you're not trying to kill people, you're not trying to lie against them, guess what? Yeah, you're probably not going to make a lot of enemies that are going to want to kill you, right? All things being equal. But, once again, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. We have brothers and sisters all around the world that are being put to death because they are standing up for Jesus and for the gospel, right? So, so, to, so to simply say that, the, well, if you, just, if you just honor the Lord, then all of a sudden you're going to have this long life. That's not necessarily the case. But I will tell you this, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have life even if you die. An incredible truth that we have as believers. 
This past couple months, I've, I've been a part of a couple funerals, a couple uh, committal services. Uh, some of them have had those who were believers, and some of them have had those who were not believers. I'll tell you what, it is different. Obviously different. The one where the person is a believer, you, you almost feel bad for having so much joy in a, in a sorrowful time. Why? Because I, I know I'm going to see this person again. This is, this is a, a goodbye. They're, they're on a trip, right? I'm going to see them again. There's these promises, and they're strong, and they're secure. The other one, what hope do they have? You can't say, well, you'll see them again. You might, and that might be a bad thing. No hope. They, they, they grieve like people who have no hope. And so they lie to themselves about this hope. As a believer, knowing God's word, knowing his promises, following him, being strengthened by the word and by the spirit, isn't there this incredible life that comes from that? It might not be the, the lavish lifestyle that everybody has on TikTok, right? Or on Facebook, or you see on TV. But it will be a life that is full and rewarding. It's life to the fullest. It's life in ultra HD. And part of that comes with that trust of those incredible promises. Now notice the opposite, right? So if, if, if verse 3 talks about the, the prudent see danger and they avoid it, then, 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 verse, then verse 4 kind of explains that. But and, and remember the last part of verse 3 where the simple go, they'll suffer for it. Well, well then you can see that in verse 5. Thorns and snares are in, the way of the crooked, are, are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. So just think about this. Uh, let's say you're walking in a path. Um, if the path has a lot of thorns in the path, is that easy going? No, it's not. Is that the most comfortable thing to do? I mean, how many of us go, let's go for a hike. I know. There is this incredible patch of just these really wicked thorns. They're sharp. They tear our clothes, cause us to be bloody. Let's do that. Doesn't that sound like fun? No, no. And, it, and if you go with kids, that's the worst thing, right? They see a thorn bush and they start crying whether they walk through it or not. Thorns are always a sign of cursing. They're always a sign of a terrible time, of a hard time. They're always, they're always speaking of judgment. Thorns come into this world because of judgment. So thorns are bad. And then snares, well, pff, yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a fun path, doesn't it? Could you imagine if we all went out with Patty and Patty says, I know this great path. It's got a whole bunch of bear traps on it. It's a hoot. You haven't lived until your leg gets caught in a bear trap. None of us would go, that's a, that's a terrible idea. That's the worst idea you've ever had. So think about it. The, the, the fool, they walk down a path that's overgrown with thorns and has got snares to catch and kill animals. And they go, this is where we're going. So, the, so these are in the way of the crooked people, the twisted people. That word for, for, for crooked, you could, you could almost put in the word twisted. It has the idea of a mind that just isn't right. It's a mind that's bent, and it's bent towards perverseness. But notice the next part of this. 
Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them, far from the crooked, far from the thorns, far from the snares. And there's this guarding of one's soul saying, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it to do that. Especially when I can walk on a path that has no thorns and no bear traps. This this is the better way. This is the way of wisdom, the way of the Lord. The reason that we need to remind ourselves of this, of this value of following the Lord, is because we are humans, and we are weak, and we are frail, and we are easily manipulated. Every temptation that I've been, that I've come across this past week, has that lie of, here is something that is more valuable than what you believe. You can have this incredible thing if you just do it outside of God's timing and outside of God's will. That's what a temptation says. Every temptation does that. You can have the fulfillment of a promise outside of God's timing and outside of his will, and it's going to be better than what you think. Solomon is reminding us, don't do it. See past it. Right? When I was in Wisconsin, I had the opportunity to go uh, fishing, and, and I, I, I caught a fish, which is a significant milestone in my life. Uh, we were doing topwater bass fishing. It's amazing how fast that thing hit that fake frog. To me, it looked fake, right? It looks fake. And the way it goes in the water, I've never seen anything do that, Right? Have you ever seen anything on the water that just makes this huge splash and then goes all crazy like this and then stops and then makes a big splash? No, nothing in nature does that. But the bass season goes, oh, man, that looks awesome. And he bites it. He bites it because it looks so good. It looks so tempting. It looks so valuable. We can easily be tempted like that. For us, we must see the value of God's word and the value and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. When we have that as the basis, when we have a, a, a good, uh, when, when we say a good name is the most valuable thing, a godly testimony, when we say that a, a godly judgment is the most valuable thing, and when we say a godly attitude and way of living is the most valuable thing, we place value on what God says. And then when we're offered the things from the world, we go, yeah, but I have something greater. I have Jesus. And nothing compares to Jesus. So my advice is that we constantly stay in the word and we constantly remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us, his gracious act. That Jesus, even though we were sinners, lived a perfect life, came down and died on the cross for us, taking the punishment that we deserve. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And the Bible teaches that anyone who places their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ has eternal life. That is the most valuable thing. Paul says, I've given up all things to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. It's important that we constantly remind ourselves of this truth of the death, burial, and resurrection. So this time I want to call up the music.